Hello, and welcome back to The Social Disease. Today, we're starting season 12. Yay! Wow. Okay. So, for our first episode, we are going to be focusing on Eli and Claire and Fiona and Imogen. And basically, the way that we've kind of split up the characters is kind of by couples, really, because pretty much everyone is coupled in the season besides Tristan. <laughs> <laughs> Leave Tristan alone. <laughs> so we kind of put the couples together based on like if they're friends or not really. So Eli's friends with Fiona and Imogen. Claire really isn't friends with them, but it's still gonna work out. <laughs> so we're gonna start off with Fiona and Imogen first. So as a summary for them, Fiona and Imogen started off by coming off of season 11, where they got back together, or they got together for the first time after Fiona found out that her family went broke. She like comes back to Degrassi after spending the holidays in New York and starts talking to Imogen again, but then Imogen is kind of insecure about being in a relationship with a woman for the first time for a little bit because the Degrassi Icehounds, the new hockey team at Degrassi, are kind of harassing them a little bit, at least being low-key homophobic, for sure. So Fiona isn't really bothered by it, but, but Imogen is, so they have a bit of a tiff about that. But then Fiona apologizes, and they get together for real. Then they're a couple for the remainder of the season until the very end. But then hodgepodge of things happen for both of them throughout the rest of the season. So the first thing that happens is that Drew moves in with Fiona into her loft because Drew dropped out of school and got a job at the mall. So now he could obviously afford this <laughs> loft. <laughs> obviously on that salary. I mean, he could also buy a motorcycle, so. <laughs> I, I don't even, I don't know how much they're paying, but I'm going to check them out. <laughs> yeah. So then they start living together and then they have a plot where they're kind of adjusting to living together. Fiona is very messy and she blames the messy apartment on Drew. But Drew is like, I was raised by Audra Torres, the queen of clean. <laughs> it is you who is dirty, Miss Fiona Cohen. So Fiona learns how to clean up after herself and they kind of develop this cute roommate friend dynamic, which continues for the rest of the season. And then from there, we get our first Imogen plot where she is trying to build the sets for Romeo and Jules, the play that Eli is directing. And while she's doing that, she kind of has to meet up with her mom, who she doesn't have the best relationship with, while also dealing with the fact that her dad's memory is awful, which turns out to be him having dementia which she finds out after her dad accidentally kills their dog by hitting it with their car, which is very sad. So Imogen kind of has to come to terms with the fact that her dad is sick and kind of reconnect with her mom. And then Fiona is helping her throughout this whole ordeal. After that, the next thing they do is that Fiona wants to get a good relationship with Imogen's mom because Imogen is kind of living at her mom's place now because of the whole dad situation. And Fiona wants to spend a lot of time with Imogen's mom, which turns out to be because she really misses her mom, who is back in New York on house arrest. 
I hate when that happens. <laughs> yeah, so she's kind of using Imogen's mom as a surrogate mom, but then she realizes that she shouldn't do that, so she goes home and visits her mom for a weekend. Yay. Next thing that happens, it's towards the end of the season at this point, and Drew has dealt with all of his mom, Bianca, situations, so he moves out of the apartment, and Fiona is left all by her lonesome. So she finds comfort in Twitter, where she really connects with her Twitter followers over the hashtag former rich girl problems. Same. <laughs> so she also gets a job at like a knockoff Jamba Juice with Dave and her apartment gets broken into and she gets held at gunpoint. <laughs> and yeah, she gets robbed. And from that, she feels very unsafe. So she tries to find a way to defend herself and her solution to that is to get her own gun. But being the American that she is, she doesn't realize that Canada has actual gun laws. <laughs> so she tries to get her own gun for herself from like the sketchy part of town, but then of course she gets mugged. <laughs> I, I don't know what, she, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So then she's like, hmm, that was a bad idea. Maybe I shouldn't get a gun. Then she's like, you know what? Imogen, I'm glad that we're dating. Like, I used to be really lonely, but now I'm not lonely because of you. Thank you. And that's kind of Fiona's last plot. But it's not the end of Fiona and Imogen. Because their last plot of the whole season and the end of Fiona Coin, as we know her, is the graduation episode and the prom episode where Imogen finds out that she is getting held back because she like missed a lot of school or like she didn't do assignments or whatever because of all of her dad's situations. So at the same time, Fiona's mom comes back and all of like the house arrest legal things are over with magically, good for her. And Fiona's mom tells her that she has an opportunity with like this Italian designer who is offering her to like move to Italy to design with him. Rich people, am I right? <laughs> former, former rich girl problem. Yeah. <laughs> so then Imogen does not like this because she doesn't want Fiona to leave forever. So she tries to sabotage the meeting with this Italian dude. But then Fiona finds out about it and is mad about it, of course. And then Imogen makes it right. And there's a whole ton of back and forth. And it ends up with them breaking up, not because Imogen was being selfish, but because they don't really want to do long distance and Imogen doesn't want to hold Fiona back from like all of her hopes and dreams. So they have one last kiss, Fiona graduates, and Imogen stays at Degrassi. Okay. <laughs> Lots of back and forth. Let's start with Imogen and her dad, because that's kind of its own thing, kind of without Fiona. So what did you think about this being like the first dementia kind of plot. I liked it a lot because I feel like whenever Degrassi tries to bring in like parent type of issues, they really do well with it. And I think that was the same here, especially the dynamic between Imogen and her mom and how she doesn't like her mom, but now she kind of has to because her dad is sick. I really like that aspect as well. Do you feel like they should have done more with her backstory? Because I was kind of thinking that. I feel like it didn't 
give me enough of her childhood to understand why she didn't like her mom. Like, I understand her mom left her dad, but they don't really say, like, is it the dementia thing that's why she left her dad? Like, how recent it was? Like, I don't know anything about it. Yeah, they definitely should have gone more into it. I think Imogen said that her mom left when she was eight, so I doubt dementia was a thing at that point. So it must have been some other reasons. I mean, Imogen's mom is randomly British, so (laughs) maybe she needed to go back to the UK for a little bit. (laughs) Who knows? I also, I don't know about you, but I was very shocked with what Imogen's mom looked like. For those who aren't sure, like, don't remember, Imogen is, like, this tall, skinny, brunette, like, very dark brunette girl, and her mother shows up, and she is white and has very red hair. They didn't even try to cast someone who would resemble Imogen, and they were like, who could look completely different from her and be her mother? And they picked her. (laughs) Yeah, it was definitely strange, but I liked the dynamic. Do you think that they had this happen so that they could hold Imogen back? Well, that's definitely the reason they gave for holding Imogen back. I don't know if they did it for the reason that they wanted to hold Imogen back. Well, I do really like this plot. It doesn't ever come up ever again. Which is disappointing because it was such a huge thing for her to move out from her dad's home, which she, again, lived since she was eight years old. And then they all of a sudden were like, all right, you can't live here anymore. But I did like how they showed her kind of, like, fear of living with him. Not fear of, like, her getting hurt, but, like, when she was hiding all the sharp objects in the house, it's kind of like I would never have thought of that. And I feel like that was kind of, like, the turn for me to be like, this is not the responsibility of a child. Like, she should not be having to do this. Yeah, it was so sad because she kind of undermines, like, the severity of the dog thing, too, at first. She's like, he's like, oh, he didn't even realize that the dog was sitting in the driveway. It's okay. It's like, no, Imogen, it's not. (laughs) No, it was so sad. The fact that he ran over the dog and then just, like, forgot. Like, that just, oh, that was so sad. Yeah. And then the the scene where her dad calls Imogen her mom's name, like that was just, it was so creepy. I just felt so bad. I'm also like, they look nothing alike. What are you thinking? No, <laughs> like I understand. But yeah, no, that, that definitely was it for me. And I'm glad that Imogen knew that she, she's like, I need to go and tell my mom this because I can't live here. I just wish they did more with it. Like, This is a season 13 and 14 problem, but Imogen is around the whole time, but she doesn't really do anything. Yeah, I guess, like, I don't really know what else they could have done with it since she wasn't really living there anymore and, like, his health was deteriorating. Like, I think that the next step would have just been, what, her visiting him in, like, a home? Like, I don't, I feel like it would have just been depressing and not something that could be turned around. Well, they could have done more with the mom, at least, with her, like, learning to live with her mom and, like, learning to actually love her mom again. I thought that would have been a nice thing to see. Yeah, especially since they tried to have Fiona, like, get the relationship so much from her and they were like, she's jealous. And it's like, well, then show that she wants a relationship with her mom. Yeah. 
because when Fiona is trying to be friends with her mom, Imogen's like, I don't even like her. Why? Why? That's true. Aw, Imogen. Uh, it's really Imogen's only plot of the season. I guess she also, there's the plot at the end with the sabotaging Fiona thing, but we'll talk about that in context of their relationship. But yeah, this is really only the only plot for Imogen herself for the whole season. I think it did explain a lot of who she is, though, because her dad, like, when we met her dad, like, he was a quirky guy, and I kind of liked seeing that he was quirky, and she's quirky, and, like, this is where it came from, and that he's, like, smart, and, like, a professor, and, like, all these things, but it just, it was sad, and it really did kind of reflect on how a parent's health can affect somebody in school. Mm -hmm. But that's really it for me. I don't know. <laughs> like it was, it was good. It was sad, and then they kind of just like dropped it. Like a lot of their things that they like to do. Yeah, I agree. I just wish they did more with it. Even just like had her mention it every now and then. Like, oh, I mentioned my dad at the home he's staying at, or something. Yeah, like a nice little check-in would have been good. But yeah, that's all there really is to it. All right. Do you want to go to? I guess Fiona and Drew, because Imogen, that was really it for her. Sorry, Imogen. Yeah. So Fiona and Drew, I really like their friendship. Like I love it. It's so fun. <laughs> you would never expect it to work as well as it did. And you wouldn't really expect it to happen in the first place. But it just, it just worked. I don't know. I also kind of like how Fiona and Drew's friendship builds from them sitting outside, out of gym. But that same thing was like with Imogen and Bianca. Like they both started because they sat out for gym. Oh my God, I, that's so true. I never realized that. Yeah, I, I remember watching that. I was like, wait, that's like so funny that they kind of did the same thing. Then I feel like it made sense for them all to kind of come together and like become friends as a group after. Yeah, oh my God, that's so cute. Gym assignments actually helping people? Who would have thought? <laughs> no, no, don't be fooled. <laughs> But yeah, I really liked them. I liked that they became roommates. I feel like it's one of those things where the characters who never would have crossed over into each other's plots, they were like, let's just do that this season. Let's just bring people randomly together that would never have been friends. She didn't really talk to Drew or Katie, right? She was briefly friends with Katie for that one episode where Katie yeah. cruised her over, but that's it. Yeah, so this was like an out-of-nowhere friendship. As you mentioned in the intro, that there was just, it didn't make sense how they could both afford to live there, but, but I liked it, and the cleaning plot was so good. Yeah, and I loved how it had Fiona, like, check her privilege for, like, the first time in her life. She's like, I don't know how to take care of myself without, like, maids and stuff. It, it was really good with showing how this whole losing her wealth thing was an actual problem rather than like they say it's a problem then it's never really relevant like it was with kind of Holly J. Yes yeah I think it was a little different because Holly J had wealth but like wasn't as wealthy like Fiona was or she had like what $48,000 in her checking account for like fun so that's like a huge <laughs> that's a lot of money so yeah I think that was funny how she just like didn't know how to take care of herself. I feel like it also kind of ties into being that age. Like I know Drew said his mom trained him to to be clean, but I really think that's kind of a rare scenario. 
for an eight, 17 year old boy to be able to, to know how to clean. <laughs> yeah, honestly, that's pretty true. <laughs> like, I've always been pretty clean. I guess once I had to clean for myself, it wasn't too hard to figure it out, but <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've also always been neat naturally, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely neat naturally, too. But I also think it kind of shows from Fiona's side that she really just didn't want to come in terms with the fact that she didn't have money. Because it's like, you're right, she could have just did it. You know, it's not that hard to just throw out your trash. <laughs> like, you know where it goes. But I feel like for her, it was kind of accepting that she has no money. Mm -hmm. And the scene with the whole, like, um, the shower drain hair. <laughs> it was that was, that was hilarious. <laughs> then their friendship just continues for like the rest of the season like they always like go to each other for their problems fiona and imogen go to the las vegas wedding i love it i'm a huge fan of that dynamic because it's oh my god wait how did i forget that drew had a crush on fiona sorry that was a throwback oh yeah back in season 10 yeah okay so they did have some crossover but that was she ended up seeing adam so i'm glad that they kind of grew that friendship because it really was cute like throughout the rest of the season like it made sense for them all to all four of them to be friends yes I love it and it oh. also relates to the mom plot with Imogen where we also get an insight into how Fiona's feeling about the whole family situation with missing her mom and using Imogen's mom as a surrogate mm-hmm I thought it was interesting when Imogen's mom said that she couldn't hang out at Fiona's apartment. I don't understand why, like, who cares? But whatever, it's fine. Yeah, it, it made sense a little bit because there's no parent and, like, the whole, what was it? Imogen said that her mom was on house arrest, so I feel like I wouldn't necessarily trust her. But at the same time, Imogen is, like, 17 at this point, so. And also, it's not like they're going to get knocked out. <laughs> like there's no fear of that so that's why I was like I guess the house arrest thing I don't think my mom would be too pumped about that I could I could see that okay but anyway <laughs> yeah that was like the the these two little plots with Drew and then Imogen's mom were just cute to kind of follow up with how Fiona's doing yeah for sure I think the Imogen's mom plot it just made so much sense I did however think that she was going to like there was no hint at her drinking and like I'm super happy about that but I really thought it could be that turn at what point when she was feeling super lonely when like she calls her mom and oh it was right after the break-in I thought she was gonna drink again but then she did not yeah yeah I wanna I wanna talk about that because I thought the whole gun thing was just ridiculous Okay, yeah, let's talk about the, the Twitter scenario and all of that. So, first of all, I'm jealous that she even became Twitter famous because I've been trying for years. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't even care if someone broke into my apartment because of it, because I'd be like, all right, I have that many followers that someone's trying to rob me now. But I do kind of see from, like, her point of view why she would want a gun, like, as a woman who lives alone, like, like it's crossed my mind before you know, to have some sort of protection, but at her age, she shouldn't be living alone to begin with. So that's one thing. Second, you're right about Canada having actual laws. 
Um, <laughs> so that's, that kind of showed that, which was good. Do you think that she just was stupid for going? And what did she expect when she approached a man with a wallet full of cash and said, can I please buy a gun from you, sir? <laughs> <laughs> I think she just wasn't thinking straight. I don't know. It was just, I, I can't even rationalize it. That's the thing. It's like she just experienced this horrible, like, traumatic, like, robbery. And then she goes and goes into a back alley with a random guy after she won defense class. I was like, like, what was that? It seemed like too much for me, personally. Yeah, like, like you said, I also would have liked to see the alcoholism thing come back instead of this whole gun nonsense. Yes, I think that would have been a better... Lot because what even came from her getting beat up in an alley? The resolution to the plot is I've come really far in the past year because of you, Imogen, and all my other friends. I'm not lonely anymore. I could be by myself, which is a great resolution to have for Fiona's overall character arc. But I don't know what this whole gun situation really, like how it led to that conclusion. Like, I would have loved, instead of the whole gun stuff, to have her not relapse itself, but to maybe consider alcohol again. And then to kind of, to contrast to when she relapsed in season 11, where she does relapse, in season 12, she could almost relapse, but then not do it, to kind of show how much she's grown. Yeah, I think that the trauma from the breaking alone could have triggered that and they could have just forgot the whole gun thing and it easily could have had the same resolution at the end without having to throw in a random gun plot and then her coming to the realization. Because the whole the whole break-in is implied to be because she's sharing her location on Twitter, right? Yes. And outside of that stupid public service announcement about not sharing your location online, I thought it was a good way to kind of show Fiona's codependency again, because the beginning of the school year, which was the second half of season 11, she's alone and then she becomes friends with Eli and Imogen. So she kind of has them for her friends for like her new codependency thing that we've talked about in our previous Fiona episodes. And then she also gets a little codependent with Drew by living with him. So then Drew leaves, so she loses him. And then Eli and Imogen were busy with like Eli's zombie movie, I think. So it made sense that she would latch onto Twitter for like her new codependency type of thing, which I thought was a good lead in to the alcoholism because like you could kind of think that, oh, this my codependency on Twitter was bad because it risked my life. So I'm going to get alcohol because that's what I do when I'm lonely, you know? Yep, Uh, you could have written it. Would have been great. Because also this is Fiona's last ever plot and it was just so underwhelming. They tend to do that, which is like, we saw that from Holly J. Sav. Anya's was all right, but yeah, they the last plot, I feel like they always just throw together for no reason. Like, easily could have been fixed with your idea right now. You had to change the second part because the first half was fine with the whole Twitter stuff. Yeah, for sure. I agree. I 
never even thought about I mean I did think about the alcohol thing but I like how you thought about the transitions into it so good job <laughs> yeah I just I just love Fiona so much and I hate this that this was her last plot because she deserved better yeah I yeah because it is her own individual plot because I do kind of consider her like quote-unquote last plot the one with Imogen but yeah this is her last on her own plot which was kind of disappointing I really didn't want to see her get beat up. That was the worst. Oh, so sad. I'm like, leave these 17-year-olds alone. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Like, again, I like the resolution to the plot where Fiona realizes that she can be on her own and that she is grateful for all the friendships that she's made. Like, I love that last scene with her and Imogen at her locker. But other than that, throw this plot away. I don't want it. <laughs> Throw it away. Oh, that's so good. All right. Should we move on to their relationship? Before we get to Fiona and Imogen, I wanted to bring up her relationship with Dallas. Ooh, okay. Because that's another kind of weird friendship that kind of comes in the season. And it's kind of there throughout the whole thing. Yes. And it is a little weird because... Dallas starts off by being pretty homophobic towards her, and Fiona doesn't seem to care that much. <laughs> but it does turn out to be pretty good. They're friends until, like, Dallas crashes Claire's birthday party, where Fiona's like, Dallas, you're a dick. <laughs> yep. It kind of smacks Dallas in the face about, like, wow, I am a dick because Fiona called me a dick. <laughs> so, like, their friendship kind of works. I don't know. I liked it. I I agree. Fiona did let him slide a little bit with the homophobic kind of things in the beginning. I don't know if it's just because she's so comfortable with herself that she was like, all right, this guy's just such an idiot. Like, whatever. Like, obviously, I'm not going to take it to heart because he's just a dumb jock. She was the one who came to the roof and found him after Cam died, right? Yes. That's uh, the main thing I wanted to talk about with yeah. Fiona and Dallas. Because I just... It's the perfect full circle moment for Fiona because in the beginning of season 10, she has her own roof moment where she is really stressed and she's on the roof of like the prep school in New York after being abused by Bobby. And now here she is after several years of development and she's the one helping somebody off the roof. So That's it's just like, true. it's such a great full circle moment. And I love it so much. Because it really shows how far Fiona has come. It really does. And I liked that it was her that went up there and found Alice. Because even though they their relationship was, like, kind of rocky. Because, like, Claire's birthday party was after. No, before that, right? Yes. Yeah, so I feel like that kind of just... Dallas really took a big turn after that. Which is, like, unfortunate that it took, like, a trauma to change Dallas into like a somewhat kind of decent person I don't know I go back and forth he's he's kind of the worst but I did like their I did like their friendship like I liked that Fiona was there to like tell him to stop bullshitting yes and then he listened to her which is even funnier because it's like out of everybody he just like respected her because she was probably one of the first people to actually stand up to him is what I think yeah, I I agree. I also thought it was kind of funny when they would like hang out and Imogen would be like, he's the worst. And Fiona's like, yeah, 
I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to bring that up just because of the roof scene to show Fiona's character development. That's awesome connection. I didn't even think of that. But yeah, so on to Fiona and Imogen as a couple. So just to start off their season with the Dallas stuff, what did you think about how Imogen was reacting? Because it seemed a little weird to me. So it was interesting because I feel like it fit at first because they really only did have that like one kiss at the end of winter break, right? Kind of yeah. like what Eli and Claire did, except Eli and Claire didn't address it. And like, I guess Fiona and Imogen like kind of did. And I don't think Fiona was in the wrong for assuming that they were dating or like girlfriends, but I do think that they should have talked about it, obviously, because like Fiona did say, this is my girlfriend. Imogen's like, wait, 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 wait. We didn't even, she's like, we kissed like one time. <laughs> Let's talk about this. And I feel like I would kind of be in the same scenario if, if I had kissed someone like four weeks ago. And then I finally see them again. And they're like, this is my girlfriend. And I'm like, whoa, okay. But I do kind of wish they talked more about Imogen questioning what her sexuality is. Like she knows she's not straight, but they don't really talk about what she is then. Yeah, they just kind of have her uncomfortable, like being labeled as a lesbian, I guess, at first by Dallas. Like she doesn't want to kiss in front of him which I feel like I would be uncomfortable doing that regardless of whether I was kissing a boy or girl, but. Same, the, I would totally feel uncomfortable if somebody was like, ha ha, kiss. It's like, all right, that is very high school, but, <laughs> but I wouldn't want to be there in the middle of that either. Yeah, so I wish they did a little bit more with Imogen's sexuality because it's not that she doesn't accept herself, at first, but like there isn't really like a storyline there. It's just kind of, okay, she's dating Fiona. She likes girls now, cool. Yeah, I think they should have showed the journey of her realizing that, you know, she was into Eli, like it was very obvious. Like, like she had feelings for Eli, she liked Eli, but then she also liked Fiona. And it's kind of leaves us questioning like, did she like Fiona? Did she actually like Eli when she was dating him? Like, is she bisexual? Does she like anybody? Like, they kind of address it a little bit in the next season better, but I just think they kind of threw this problem of her being like, I'm embarrassed because I don't know what I am, and then just, like, it disappears because she's like, I like Fiona so much that I don't even care what I am. It's like, no, you, you can still figure it out and also like Fiona at the same time, right? Like, because her and Fiona are very PDA the entirety of the rest of the season. So it's not even like she's uncomfortable like being out and proud either. Yeah, and she asked for it to be slow, for them to like take it slow, and then like nothing really happens that like changes. I don't know. Because they are like a great relationship. Like they support each other a lot. I don't think they come off as friends. I do think that they come off as dating, which I'm glad Degrassi does because I was nervous that they were just going to have them friends who hold hands mm -hmm. once in a while. And that would have been embarrassing. But we did also bring up the fact that they are a couple and like most Degrassi couples, they have a sex plot, but Fiona and Imogen have zero acknowledgement of any sort of plot like that, which I didn't like that from Degrassi. 
it was kind of annoying. I was yeah. like, what are you afraid of addressing here? Because that would have been a great way to kind of bring up Imogen's sexuality too. Yep. Because exactly. I, I feel like kissing somebody and having sex with them is going to be very different depending on like the gender, you know? Yeah, I agree. I also, I wrote down that Mo just like does not care about Fiona and Imogen. I think that's so funny because they went from Dallas being like, ooh, and then Mo is like, all right, cool, whatever. Let's just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> like it shows two different sides of who cares and who doesn't. Yeah, for sure. Fiona was very supportive of Imogen with her father thing though. Like Fiona was putting in 10 times more effort to make this relationship work than Imogen was. What do you think? Well, I, I guess I could see that a little bit. Because if you think about how their whole relationship progressed, it was Fiona, Fiona, Fiona. Like, Fiona made an effort to meet her dad. Fiona made an effort to meet and become friends with Imogen's mom. Half of it because she missed a mom. Half of it because, like, she genuinely was like, I want a good relationship with my girlfriend's family because that's something that would be important to me. And then by the end, when Imogen breaks up with Fiona, it's kind of like not as shocking because if Fiona ended it, I would have been like, she was way too into it, you know? Mm -hmm. I just feel like Imogen didn't pull her weight. Yeah, I guess that's, that's especially true in the gun plot too, because Fiona is clearly struggling with this whole break-in thing and Imogen is just kind of giving her a hug and being like, it'll be okay. Yeah, and even when Imogen, I mean, when Fiona is trying to become closer with Imogen's family, Imogen's like, wouldn't that make us sisters? It's like, <laughs> would you have thought that if you were dating a boy who wanted to put an effort with your family? Would you be like, wouldn't that make us siblings? No, you wouldn't say that. So that's why I'm like, I don't know where, like Imogen says she really likes Fiona. They just don't put as much effort into her liking Fiona that I feel like they should have. I've never thought of that before, but it is kind of true. But then I Imogen does, even though it's selfish at the end with the whole Italian designer thing, her trying so hard to keep Fiona close does kind of show how she cares. Yeah, I also don't know if it was just because she was bitter that she has to stay at Degrassi another year. That was probably part of it. She's like, I'm but bringing everyone down with me. <laughs> Like, be being bitter that she has to stay, but then also having to stay without Fiona. Yes. And I'm not saying anything against them. I'm a big fan of their relationship. Like, the way that they built up to it was awesome. And how they kept it going through the whole season was great. I just wish Imogen liked her a little bit more, I guess. Like, she deserved, Fiona deserved that. She deserved a girlfriend who was not embarrassed to bring her around and like wanted to introduce her to her family. And even though Imogen did do it slowly, I think that it would have been better. Yeah, I could agree with that. Like they're, they're not a perfect couple, but they are really good though. I know, I really, they like work off each other very well. Like Imogen's so quirky and then Fiona's like, not as quirky, but like she embraces Imogen's quirkiness, <laughs> which is really cute. And they show that when she tries to change her in the beginning of last season when she's like oh let's dress her up like all nice and not like the weird way she dresses now <laughs> where do you think 
this couple is ranked on your like couples list? I'd say top top tier for me. Like for me, I don't really put too much stock into relationships too much. Like I could appreciate a couple, but I don't like really stand any couples, I would say. Ooh, interesting. Okay, that's fair. But yeah, I'd say they're top tier for me. Yeah, I, I like them. They didn't have too many fights with each other. It was mostly outside things, which I like too. But yeah, I, I enjoyed them. I think that Imogen was a good match for Fiona. How do you feel about their breakup? I'm a little disappointed that they didn't try to make it work, but it was very much implied that Fiona was done. Like, this was it. Like, she stayed her welcome. She was not going to be brought back in that next season, so they needed to get rid of her. Yeah. So the breakup, it made sense. I was disappointed, but especially since they just, like, were like, Eli and Claire are going to make it work. And then Imogen and Fiona were like, we're not even going to try. Not one bit. I'm going to Italy. See ya. (laughs) It's like, all right, that's fine, I guess. Yeah, I agree. It makes sense that they broke up, even though I really didn't want them to. But they do imply, I think it's towards the end of season 14, where, like, Imogen and Jack break up for, like, the last time. And then Imogen says to Becky, I think, like, Jack wasn't even my best relationship at Degrassi. So it's, like, pretty obvious that, like, Imogen still loved Fiona even two seasons later. So I think it's pretty implied that they would get back together at some point. I do like that their breakup addressed. It wasn't, like, anything that they could have fixed, if that makes sense. Because the reason they broke up was because Fiona wanted to travel the world and Imogen wanted to stay home because that's just not who she is and like she also did have her family at home and her father and and even though Fiona's like we could fly your father out like once in a while it's just not the same like Fiona lives a completely different life and money shows that because if she was if she did not get her money back I think it could have worked yeah because Fiona would have stayed (laughs) yeah so it just kind of just reflects back to Fiona is a different person when she has money. And there's just, it's not something she can help. Like, that's just, she's just lucky. She has, her family has money. Like, she didn't have money for a while, and her Imogen worked because she needed to focus on, like, things that bring her happiness besides money. But now she has money back again, and she can travel and do whatever she likes to do. Yeah. Anything else? How did you feel about Fiona as valedictorian and her speech? Okay, you know how I feel about this. What was that? There, she <laughs> First of all, this girl failed out that whole year enough that she needed to stay back a whole time. Second of all, I don't know how valedictorian works in Canada. Like, there were way harder workers that deserved to be, like, Bianca easily should have been valedictorian. She made such a comeback, and she didn't get held back a year. <laughs> And she was smart. Like, it would have made so much sense for them to build up to her being valedictorian because she was doing all of those trivia things and, like, clubs. And, like, she was very obviously smart and, like, focused on getting into college. Like, why couldn't she be valedictorian? Yeah. The, The only reason why I think Fiona was valedictorian was because she was the character who was graduating who was on the show the longest. Is that how they pick? Well, at least here. 
Because <laughs> Jane becomes the auditorian and she wasn't on it very long, was she? From her class. Otherwise, it would have been Danny or Peter. Oh, all right. Yeah, it's <laughs> the best choice. I think that Bianca should have been valedictorian. I, I think that they could have made Bianca valedictorian and given Fiona a speech because she was quote unquote president, like put prom together, whatever. I think that would have worked. Like, why could, why did she need to be that? Yeah, they, they just wanted to have her like, have her alcohol little spiel like oh look at how much i've grown in the past year look at me now <laughs> and katie's like fuck off <laughs> what do you think so i agree that it like realistically it shouldn't have been fiona but i still like it like i don't mind it too much <laughs> i'm still rooting for bianca i will never not root for bianca to have been valedictorian so i'm sorry i'm against you on that one yeah, I would have liked Bianca too. Like, I would have been fine with Bianca, but I don't mind Fiona. Okay. Well, it's because you love her. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is our goodbye to Fiona forever. I know. Uh, she was your favorite. This is why we started. You were like, I can't wait to talk about Fiona season 10. Oh, she's come so far. She really did. She was a great character with great character development. It was awesome. Oh, I'm gonna miss her. <laughs> I know. I that's all I have for her. Do you have anything else? Oh, farewell, Fiona Coin. <laughs> Very dramatic. Loved it. Loved every second. Okay, so now on to Eli and Claire. Yay! <laughs> Holy shit! These two have like a plot in every other episode in this season. I can't deal. <laughs> Okay, so I think the way we want to do this is kind of split between the first half and the second half of the season, because the first half of the season is the play with Eli, and also Claire dealing with all of her sexual harassment things, and then the second half of the season, none of those are really relevant. So let's just do a summary for all those first half things, and then we'll talk about that, and then the second half things. So... They start off the season coming off of the season 11 finale where they kissed at the Frostival. And they come back to school after the break and Claire's like, what's going on? And Eli's like, I've been waiting for you to talk to me to see what's going on. It was more like nothing much you. <laughs> well, well, yeah, yeah. But at like the, the party, that's the conversation that happens. <laughs> and then they, they decide to get back together. They have this whole like, I'm all in Eli. <laughs> and that's like, Claire puts so much stock into them saying that later on. <laughs> yeah, they get back together. And then Claire starts her newspaper internship. And she has to like blow off a date with Eli to do it. And Claire's initially concerned that Eli's gonna like freak out about it. But Eli is very like, yeah, go do your thing. This is more important than a silly date. And Claire's like, oh my god, is this a healthy relationship? I've never had one of those before. <laughs> <laughs> so then, yeah, they're together for this whole half the season, and they're really supportive of, of each other, too. So then Eli tries to start doing the school play, but then he finds out that new girl Becky Baker has already gotten ahead of him with it, and Simpson kind of forces them to work together. 
but they have a lot of creative differences. Becky wants to put on a musical about Romeo and Juliet, whereas Eli wants to do some pretentious play <laughs> instead. So they butt heads a lot, and Eli has this beautiful plan to make Romeo and Juliet gay and make it Romeo and Jules to essentially kick Becky out because she is a homophobe. But also he kind of does it because he wants to do something unique for his like college applications. They start off Romeo and Jules and Becky quits the play. So then the play thing is kind of in the background for the rest of the half of the season. So Eli like helps Dave act gay to not be an asshole as an actor. <laughs> he helps Imogen out with her dad stuff and like, cause Imogen is also building the sets for the play. So that's kind of in the background. Then at the same time, Claire is really loving her newspaper internship and she gets super pretentious about it when she is working on a school project with Adam and Connor. And they start a hashtag, Stuff Claire Says, where they're making fun of all the pretentious and silly things that Claire says every other line. And she gets in trouble with her newspaper mentor, Asher, for this. And she gets embarrassed and eventually she apologizes, especially for blaming Connor's Asperger's for like making him make fun of her, which was pretty shitty of her to do. So then from there, she convinces Asher to write an article about Romeo and Jules. But then Asher starts to sexually harass her. He kisses her when they're working alone on the article, but then he apologizes for it, but then he tries to do it again. And then once Claire reports him, he has already gotten ahead of her and reported her for inappropriate behavior, like the asshole predator that he is. So no one believes her and Claire gets fired from her internship and she tries to hide the fact that she was harassed from pretty much everybody because she's embarrassed, she's blaming herself. It's honestly really sad. So then we kind of leave her for a little bit and then she comes back where like the hockey team is kind of getting out of control. So she writes an article exposing them to kind of vent her frustrations with Asher onto somebody else. And then Eli ends up finding out about the whole Asher situation. And Eli says that he'll help her take him down. So then Claire kind of gets obsessed with taking Asher down. So she's kind of poking Eli about it while he's trying to focus on the play. And he ends up realizing that it's not super healthy for him to be doing all these schemes again, like he did back in season 10 and 11. So he says, I'm not going to help you out. So Claire comes up with this scheme to plant nude pictures of herself on Asher's computer because he would get arrested for it. But then just as she's about to do it, she realizes that it's a bad idea. And another intern that Asher had who works at the newspaper now, I guess, tells her that she was also harassed by Asher and they make a plan to take him down, or at least go to the police. But then literally nothing comes of that. And that's kind of how the half of the season ends, where Eli puts on the play successfully after a ton of things go down because the Bakers and Dallas try to take down the play. 
but that ends up not happening, <laughs> of course. Okay, where where do you want to start? Let's go with them getting back together. Okay, I had high hopes. I really like how Eli pretty much told her, like, look, you need to be the one that's going to lead this one because I just, that's how it's going to go. I also love when they pretend to pass the ball back and forth. I was like, uh, that's so cute. I love yeah, that. Yeah, that was really cute. And Eli was super mature about the whole situation. He was like, I didn't want to get my hopes up because there were twinkly lights. It was a romantic situation. So I didn't want to get my hopes up. And I know that I wronged you in the past. So it needs to be on you to decide if we're getting back together. So I thought that was very mature of him. And I really liked it. I agree. I also thought it was completely normal that Eli did not bring up a kiss on the first day of school. That was just like, Claire's dramatic. We all know this. So I was not feeling like Eli was in the wrong for not addressing this at school on the first day. Mm -hmm. that's, that's just what I was thinking. And then the next episode when they wake up on the phone, I was like, that is so high school. I was dying. I'm like, that is so cute. It just, I don't know. I was really rooting for them. It made me feel like they were going to start in a good place. For sure. Because also when Claire is like super worried that Eli is going to go off the rails by her canceling a date, then Eli's like, I'm going to go crash my hearse into a wall. And she's like, oh, no. And then he's like, I'm kidding. <laughs> I thought that was so funny because like, Obviously, they just got back together, so Claire doesn't really know where he's at right now. So I thought it was funny, but also showing, like, how different their relationship is from the last time. Yeah, and I liked that you could see how Claire was hesitant because of the past experiences that they had together. And it made sense that she was nervous to kill on her internship because she didn't know how he was going to react because every time he reacted before, he was crazy. Not yeah. crazy. That's not, that's not a polite way to put it. But I think that it made sense. And I liked that they started with her having to be like, I have to cancel because it really just opened up the door like, hey, he's fine. Like, you can cancel on him. Like, it's okay. Yes. And then this kind of healthy type of communication between them continues for most of the rest of the season because Claire is really supportive of Eli during the whole play stuff. Eli is incredibly supportive of her during her whole sexual harassment things. And he's also not enabling her with her bad plans and to take Asher down as well. So like, even though Claire wants him to be maniacal, <laughs> it's good of Eli that he told Miss O, even though Miss O shouldn't have been the person specifically to be told because of her sexual harassment. But that, that's, all, that's another thing. But Eli did the right thing, <laughs> even though Claire was kind of losing her mind, rightfully so. He did the right thing and he was very supportive of her, which I loved. Eli did what I've been begging Degrassi characters to do my entire life, and it is to tell an adult. <laughs> and I'm so happy when he, when he just decided, he's like, look, like, we're not scheming. I told Miss Oh, your mom is here. Like, you're doing this. And I was like, thank God, because this really is a serious thing that should not be ignored and or schemed. Like, her scheme was the worst. S put planting nudes? Are you kidding me? Yeah. That was unreal. 
I will always say that season 11 Claire was like the worst Claire ever was. But I say that because Claire herself was bad. Like she was very selfish in season 11. But here, Claire's also like kind of losing her mind, but it's not her fault. So she yeah. is doing pretty badly here, but like, I, I get it. I really get it. And I feel so bad for her every time I watch it. Yeah, I agree. I was glad though that they were able to be kind of supportive of each other until they weren't. But I think the way that they reintroduced them and how it was working in the beginning, it made sense. I think one thing that didn't sit well with me was that I thought that she would have trusted Eli after her like realizing like oh when I cancel plans he's not gonna have a meltdown why didn't she tell him about the Asher thing like she's like he's gonna kill him like was she still worried that he was not okay enough to handle this I think a part of her was right because not only is she ashamed of herself that this happened to her like she was very much blaming herself that it was her fault so she doesn't want anybody else to know and then also she doesn't want to burden anybody else with this big problem mm -hmm. maybe she was kind of using eli's gonna go crazy as an excuse to not tell him that's a good point i didn't think of that but even then like they they'd only been back together for like a month or so at this point so I could still see her maybe doubting how he'll react to things. Okay. I was just curious. That makes sense. So overall, like, I, I think I've said this before, but season 12 Eclair is amazing. I love them so much. They just are grown up, finally, and, like, are taking responsibility for their actions, and they're both in a place where, like, things are happening to them, but they're not... Well, I mean, the second half is rough, but the first half, they're kind of, like, holding each other accountable and, like, being there for the, each other in, like, a healthy way. Yes. So now do you want to get into their individual things for the first half of the season? Yeah, let's do it. What, what do you want to start with? So let's go to Claire and Asher, because we've already kind of touched on them. Okay. So, of course, Asher is a predatory, evil human being. And I hate him. But, like, the plot was very well done. They made it very clear that Claire kind of did everything wrong in the situation, which I kind of liked to kind of show how even if you do everything wrong, it's still not your fault. Yes, and I think it was more realistic that way, too, because as much as we're taught, if something like this happens, tell an adult, I feel like you don't know what it is until you're in that situation and in that scenario. And for her, she was like, if I tell an adult, this ruins my career. Even though she's only a junior, she really was like, this is it. Like, this is a big deal. I can't ruin my career. That's kind of what she was focused on a lot. I don't know if that was just an excuse because she was embarrassed that this was happening to her. I also thought it was interesting the way that she tried to just play it off and was like I'll just drop it if you just drop it and Asher was like hey cool and then it obviously didn't work out that way well because he was obviously manipulating her like he gave her this whole sob story like oh my wife isn't being nice to me we're going through a divorce and it's been hard 
So like he was obviously manipulating and gaslighting her throughout this whole situation. Yes. And I was going to ask you, when do you think it really started to turn from like a relationship of just like a being work to being more for him? Well, I feel like we know he's done this before based on the, the intern comes forward and says that she was also harassed. True. So like knowing that and rewatching it, you could kind of see him kind of grooming her at least from the Stuff Claire Says episode. Yes, that was the episode I was thinking. And you're right, you can see from the beginning because he really tears her down and then is like, I'm going to be the one to help you get better. And she's like putting all this trust in him, which really does, like it, that exactly grooms her and all that gross stuff that I hate him for. Right, because it's not obvious at first because... Like, if you think about the geography assignment that leads to the stuff Claire says thing, like, as a mentor, you could kind of imagine that someone would say that. But then you, if you think harder, it's like, why is, why does he care so much that she puts effort into a school assignment, you know? So just thinking more deeply about what he's doing, he's kind of making her depend on him for advice and, like, everything related to, like, her professional growth. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And then when he pours her, like, half of his wine, I was like, mm. and she even knew. You could see on her face that that was, like, something that was weird. But she was just like, eh, we'll just ignore it. I don't know. I feel like if I told my mom, she'd be mad at me and the guy. <laughs> yeah. Because it's just so unprofessional. Yep. It was gross. I did not like that. We kind of already mentioned this, but, like, I really like the whole aspect of her kind of blaming herself because that happens so often. Like she didn't want to accept it. She was downplaying it. Like you said, she lies when she's talking to her mom and Miss O. She's like, no, no, I was obsessed with him. It, it was all me. It was just so sad because that, that's how it really happens a lot of the time in real life. So the one thing that I do wish that they did with this was kind of if they weren't going to continue through with it, they should have just ended it at the Miss O thing. They should have just ended it when she talked to Miss O because continuing with Katie and like finding the other person who also was assaulted by him, like they didn't do anything with it. And they don't ever address it again, right? Yeah, they really don't. So it's like, why even bother introducing this plot and then killing it when it's supposed to turn into something like that's what pissed me off about it because it was well done with her reactions and like I get if they were trying to make a point like it doesn't always work out like sometimes there isn't proof and like you can't get your person put in in jail or whatever but they lead us on by saying there's another girl who was also assaulted so it's like you already have two witnesses he has a good chance of getting arrested and then nothing ever happens yeah, so even even if he doesn't end up going to jail or getting consequences, like you said, they still should have done something with it just because they they built it up so much. Like Claire spent a whole like couple episodes like trying to take him down. She finally finds a way to take him down and then nothing. Yep. And her getting drunk in school made a lot of sense. Her actions were like fitting perfectly. Like everything that they had her do was exactly how I would 
think that it would go. It just, the fact that they didn't end it pissed me off a lot. Yeah. As I was watching these episodes, like as they were airing week to week, what I was thinking was that it would be similar to the Paige situation where she was raped in, I think it was season two, and then the trial happens the beginning of season four. So there's like a gap between like it happening and then like the legal aspect. So I thought a similar thing was going to happen with this where they have the stuff happen in season 12 and it would come back in a later season, but then it never comes back. Like I would have loved if instead of the cancer stuff in season 13 for Claire, which was a miss anyway, that they just brought the Asher stuff back and had her deal with that for the few cancer episodes that she had instead. Yeah, I would like to hear an explanation for what they were thinking with this. Because why would they piss me off for an entire season and then not ever address it again? Like, the whole point was to hate Asher, obviously. So, and I hated him, and I hated everything, and, like, how it almost ruined Claire and Eli's relationship again, and, like, her drinking in school, and Asher had an ugly car. If you watch that, it was so (laughs) ugly. I was like, this man has a real job and his car looks like that like that just shows <laughs> I don't know it just was disappointing I'm glad Eli did what he did I don't even know if, do we even want to talk about Katie and Claire like gonna drop some nudes and then they didn't like well I liked how Katie was supportive of Claire like so it was good that she had someone supporting her even though it, it was a wrong decision Katie made sure that Claire was firm in her conviction that it would work. So it was good that she had someone by her side, even though it was a bad decision. I did like how they connected Katie in that way because Katie was seeing Jake and Jake is Claire's stepbrother. So to assume outside of what they show is that Katie would be hanging out in Claire's house with Jake. So she would be kind of vague friends with Katie as well. So it made sense. It felt like a stretch. Like, it, it kind of was a weird thing to show because I kind of gave ideas. <laughs> you know how sometimes they try to show how it's like, this is a bad idea and you shouldn't do this? I feel like it walked through how to do it for people who might consider this. And that's why I was like, I don't know about that one. Well, they, they made it very clear that it was a bad idea at the end, so. <laughs> yeah, but the fact that she even thought of it, I would never would have been like, let me put my nudes on this man's like how was she gonna get away with it let's be honest like that was not gonna happen well claire was in a very bad mindset so i could understand her not thinking rationally i won't i won't sit on it i just wish that they ended it before she did all that stuff yeah especially since they didn't continue yeah but anyway all right anything else about asher and claire I'm I'm just so disappointed that they d- didn't continue it because it's such a big and important topic that like it really deserved the full attention and they just dropped the ball. Yeah, you can hear how annoyed I am about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I I know that's I was I'm a little harsh, but it's true. I am pissed that they did this and it probably could be relatable for like a lot of people and they just didn't show how it could end. Yeah. Move on to the play stuff before we get more mad. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Sorry. All right. We were talking about this, and I'm going to bring it up again. Do you think that 
Eli was just doing this only to piss Becky off and had no intentions of building up awareness in the gay community. I think his main motivation was getting Becky out of the way. Okay, even when rewatching it, do you think that his original plan was to do that? Like, do you think that he always had thought that she was homophobic? Maybe yeah. not from the moment he met her, but during the auditions, Becky makes a comment about Tristan being gay in some way. It wasn't explicitly saying that, but she's like, I forget the phrasing she uses, but she makes it very clear that she disapproves of him being gay. I think she says alternative life choice or something. Yeah, something like that. So Becky makes it clear that she's homophobic during the audition, and then Eli uses that to his advantage. See, I interpreted that scene as that she, like, was hinting at it for us to pick up on it, but I didn't think that Eli picked up on it. I think he did. Because when, when Tristan confronts him about it, Eli says this is standing up for the little guy, blah, blah, blah. And if it pisses off Becky in the meantime, so be it. Yeah. Like, when he said he wanted to piss off Becky, do you think he meant making it two male characters? Or do you think it was just because he, like, changed the plot of it? Well, he didn't change the plot. Well, not the plot, sorry. But, like, um, I don't know. I really don't think he intended to just only make it gay. Like, I feel like that would be awful. Like, why are you just doing this to piss someone off? Like, this is a great thing to do, but like with the malintentions, it makes me sad. Well, okay. So he mostly did it to piss Becky off, but he also did it because he had a conversation with Claire where they're talking about like movies or something. And Claire makes a point that Eli said something while they were watching a movie about how this director like subverted your expectations about like how things would go. So I think that's where he got the idea to make it gay. Well, he got the idea to make it gay to put a twist on it for yeah. like college application reasons. And then he's like, oh, this will also piss Becky off because she's a homophobe. So I'm going to really play that up to get her off of this. Okay, so you don't think he went into it like, I'm going to make these characters gay to get Becky off. Like, you think that it was more the other thing? And it was just a plus that Becky would be pissed off? Because that's what I think. I think that he just went for it as a plus to piss Becky off. I think it's the opposite, where... Yeah. Oh no, we're never gonna, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't think I'm gonna ever agree with you on this. Okay, so subverting it, like just plain subverting it was the main motivation. But subverting it by explicitly making it gay being the subversion was to piss Becky off. But do you think he thought she would quit? I think that was his hope. I don't think he knew. Okay. I loved when he was like, welcome to Degrassi. And then they like pan out and then Tristan's in the background like dancing. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's so good. Yeah, it is a pretty badass scene. But I also wanted to point out how Eli was kind of being a dick during this whole thing, regardless of like the whole homophobic situation. His first meeting with Becky, he's like, I'm in charge. Like you're the new girl, I'm in charge. You, you have no say. I literally said, Eli kind of taking over equals dick move. I'm just shocked that he genuinely thinks he's the only person in the entire school that can direct a play. 
Like, yeah. dude, what? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was very, what's the word? Annoying. <laughs> uh, overconfident? Pompous? Pompous. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I also hate that everything that he does is about the internet. Okay, it's not everything, but he's like, a modern twist with the internet. And I'm like, stop, stop. <laughs> we don't need the internet involved in literally everything. Because then you see it later and when Miles puts on his stupid show and it's like with the internet and texting and I'm like, enough, just do the <laughs> shit, just stop it. But yeah, Eli was definitely being a dick. So that, that's why I think his main motivation was getting Becky off because that was his main problem in that whole episode is I want Becky out because I am obviously more talented than her. I also think that they put him in that situation to show that he can handle himself. Even though he was mean, he can come across like a tough situation and work through it without having a meltdown. I like that. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, I don't know. I do honestly this music for this show is the best music out of all the different things. I love when they sing. You are the sun, the moon, and the night. <laughs> I was like, this is my jam. <laughs> there, it's honestly full of bops. I love it. It, it really is. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, let's talk about the play with Dallas and the Bakers. Yes. So they tried to cancel it, and I think they knew going into it that they couldn't do the gay approach because they knew you just, like, can't straight up be homophobic anymore. It's just not possible. Like, you can't even pretend to be like, this is, no, no one cares. Yeah, yeah. Side note on that, I realized this last night, I think. I really liked how throughout Degrassi, they make it so you can't be a good person if you're homophobic or transphobic. That's very true. Basically, if you're a homophobe or a transphobe, that's, like, the villain of the storyline, you know? Like, with Dave, like, with Spinner back in the day. It should be. You should not be allowed to just do that. (laughs) Yeah. And then Becky is a homophobe and a transphobe, but then she learns and becomes a better person, whereas her brother stays being awful, and he continues being awful into when he gets arrested for raping Zoe. Yep. That'll be a later thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Side note. I, I just really like that aspect of Degrassi. I do too, and I liked how they actually brought in the issue, like everybody was prepared for that to be the thing, for Eli dressing up as a friar from the show and like quoting the Bible, and I'm like, you know what? Good call. Like, I, I as ridiculous as it was, I was like, that made some weird sense in Eli's head, sure, but then they catch you with the suicide, and I was like, And even Eli was like, whoa, I did not even think of that. Yeah, it was, it was very sneaky, but it also worked because you mentioned this, how it kind of foreshadows Cam. Yes, yeah. And it was interesting because I forget who was talking to Eli about it. It might've been Claire, might've been Imogen, but somebody says, are you sure that what they're going to bring up is it being like the Romeo and Jules part of it and he was like yeah like what else would they bring up and then they bring up the suicide thing and I was like and especially since it was led by Dallas and then 
Cam's suicide was, I'm not blaming Dallas in any way, but, like, he did not make it easy for Cam. So it was kind of interesting that Dallas was like, suicide is a big issue, when in reality, like, he was also a really big bully. Mm-hmm. So obviously he didn't, he didn't care about suicide being an issue. He just brought it up because he wanted the show to be over because he was bitter about Eli and Claire. Yeah. And I also liked the, the specific point was glorifying suicide. So it kind of showed how Degrassi is kind of aware of glorifying suicide and they really don't do that with Cam, which we'll, we'll talk about in another episode. But especially compared to like other TV shows with suicide, that really do glorify it. I'm looking at you, 13 Reasons Why. <laughs> I knew exactly what you were thinking about. I have not watched it because I just, I don't want to deal with that. But yeah, I think their point isn't wrong in that scenario. Like, I liked Eli's expression when they show him watching that scene and he's like, you're right, it does. I'm going to change it and then we'll be done with it. And everyone's like, okay. And then it just changes and it works out for the best. Like, but yeah, I definitely think they used it as a foreshadowing. What do you think about the play overall? Because it's kind of everywhere in that whole first half of the season. It's kind of like embedded in kind of every plot here and there. I liked it. This might have been the only play that like I actually enjoyed. I think it's because it had a mix of the characters actually in it. Like they had people from different friend groups. Like they had Dave, they had Tristan and Tori, they had Jenna in the background. Like a lot of different people were involved in this. Like they had Imogen making the sets. It kind of made it more real for me and not just like some weird side plot of Eli making this for his NYU thing. Yes. It's actually involving the whole school rather than like Miles's play having three people involved. Miles's play is the worst. The worst. But yeah, I honestly liked it. I liked the music. I liked the concept. I'm glad they didn't do internet age crap, as I already talked about. I'm a fan. Go Romeo and Jules. Yes. Oh, okay. So that's the first half of Eli and Claire. <laughs> okay. So the second half of the season for Eli and Claire starts off for them with a couple of one-off plots. So the first one is Eli is taking like a film class and he has writer's block and he has no creative juice. So he gets high with Jake and makes like a trippy type of thing. And like he realizes that it's stupid. But then he makes a cute little short film about him and Claire leaving each other once he graduates. Pretty cute. The next one is there's a double standard in the Edwards Martin house where Katie is allowed to stay late while dating Jake, whereas Eli cannot stay late with Claire. So Claire kind of confronts this with her mom and Jake's dad. And they're like, no, you're a girl. Boys can't stay late. And then Claire yells at her family. They kind of have this plan to like make Jake friends with Eli. And then Eli gets high again. And then he's like shirtless in Claire's room. And it's like a, a whole ordeal. But then it, it ends with Claire's mom being like, yeah, Eli could stay late. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so then the last one off plot for them is Claire's locker is being moved. So Eli offers Claire to move in because obviously moving in lockers is a huge ordeal in Degrassi every single time. 
because everyone loves their locker space. And then Eli finds Claire's diary in their shared locker and he reads it and he gets upset that Claire contemplated having sex with Jake a couple months ago. But then he apologizes and that's kind of the end of that because Eli then finds Cam's body in the greenhouse, which leads to Eli kind of spiraling for a bit. He at first kind of tries to ignore finding him and all of his feelings associated with that. And then this weird girl, Talia, comes in and invites him to like this paint party where I guess the the shtick is to take some ecstasy and like experience the colors while you're high. I don't know. So yeah, Eli starts taking ecstasy. He takes it again and gets naked and runs around the school and hugs Mr. Simpson. Oh, at, at the same time, he also interviews for NYU and it goes really well. But then once he runs around the school, Simpson talks to him and they kind of have a heart to heart about how they both found a classmate who killed themselves. And Eli kind of resolves to like kind of talk to his therapist about it because the whole reason he kind of spiraled so hard is because Claire, kind of everyone, but Claire especially is kind of forcing him to talk about his feelings about all this stuff, but he doesn't really feel comfortable talking about these really dark things with others. He says that it's only for his therapist, which is very fair. So he breaks up with Claire to kind of get space from her because she's kind of smothering him. So then after that, they're broken up and Claire runs for president against Drew and then she loses and Drew invites her to be his Veep vice president. <laughs> and then at the same time, Connor tries to set up Eli and Allie because he wants Jenna time because Allie and Jenna are gossiping about Eli and Claire, just like we are now. <laughs> so then Connor kind of helps Eli go talk to Claire again, but then Claire rejects him. Eli got into NYU, good for him. But yeah, Claire rejects him. And then it's the end of the school year. It's prom and graduation. Eli tries to get Claire back with these really big gestures with getting a horse and a carriage as their limo to prom. He also kind of hijacks the prom king and queen vote so that they would win. And then Claire initially rebuffs him, but then eventually gives in and is, stops being stubborn and gets back together. Then they have sex at prom for the first time ever and Eli graduates. Good for them. But then at the same time, Claire has found a tumor on her back, which she gets tested real quick and then finds out that it might be cancer. And that's how the season ends for them. Eli graduates, they're back together, and Claire might have cancer. <laughs> All right, this is gonna be a two hour long thing. <laughs> Where would you like to start? Let's just get the one-off plots out of the way. Cool lockers this isn't going in order i just want to get this one out of the way all dave's fault it was stupid <laughs> i don't know what the purpose of being like moving into a locker is the biggest commitment you could ever make in high school you said you barely used your locker i don't even know if i knew where mine was like there was just no point in this why are there so many locker plots in degrassi yeah, i have no idea it's like not a big deal. You just put your books there while you're not using them. 
Like, I get it if they wanted him to read Claire's diary. I understand that they kind of want to show that Jake and Claire's relationship, it was a rebound. Like, we all know it was a rebound. And Claire being horny. And Eli kind of seeing, like, oh, shit, maybe, like, she did actually like somebody else. But then she kind of just, just, like, I thought I loved him, but I didn't because I love you. And now I know what love is. And he's like, yay. And then that's it. Yeah. Eli kind of completely overreacted to reading her diary. Like, he was very possessive, and I really didn't like it. It's one thing to be jealous of something that happened recently. I guess the only thing I can see is the fact that she does live with this guy now, but it's very obvious that they both have moved on. So if the insecurity is there, it should have been brought up way earlier. Yeah. Especially because Eli is good, good friends with Jake at this point. Exactly. It was kind of stupid, but it did transition well into him finding Cam because, like, at that point, every issue they've ever had in that second was resolved. <laughs> and isn't that how life goes? <laughs> it's just about to be okay. And then it was not. So the other one was Eli getting high with Jake. It was funny. I liked it but not, not really anything substantial. Any, anything you have to say? I think it kind of just gave us a little insight into Jake, that Jake likes to smoke pot more than anything. Eli's creepy video that came from him smoking pot, I guess kind of ties into like being an artist isn't always led on by drugs because then he makes a video when he's sober and it's better. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't know why he took off his shirt. Like, being high doesn't make you hot. <laughs> like, I don't know why, na- like, Naked Eli made several appearances in this season. <laughs> but I, I do like Eli and Jake's friendship. It, it worked really well. I love their friendship. I thought it was hilarious. I wish that he was friends with Jake, Mo, and Drew. I feel like that crew would have just been hilarious, but it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> well, Eli, Jake, and Mo go to the paint party. Yes, I was happy about that. I, lo- I love Mo. I think he's, he's just so funny. Then last one is the double standards plot. I think they just wanted to make sure we still knew that the whole Jake and Claire thing wasn't just something that they'll forget about. That's really it for me. <laughs> That's what I think. I think they just didn't want it to be a throwaway plot from last season. So they were like, how can we make it so that Claire and Jake still show up together and like it's shown that they are still trying to build a family after we like all of their drama from last season right yeah it's kind of whatever for me it was cute Claire like stealing the car was fun (laughs) Eli was like really into that (laughs) he was like Claire you look so good behind that truck wheel I don't know why I sounded like that but (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> I don't know I don't know anyone who owns a truck but <laughs> okay anyway moving on okay so now Eli and Cam yeah okay before we get into the whole ecstasy part I wanted to bring up two details that I actually noticed for the first time when just re-watching so in in the episode where Eli finds him there's a scene with Eli and Dave where like they're talking about what Eli saw and then Dave is just kind of hypothetically asked like how do you get your head in that space and then Eli has like a kind of look it's a split second look that I never noticed before and it it kind of showed that Eli has had his 
head in that space before. And I never noticed that before. And I thought that was a really good detail that Monroe Chambers did a really great job with like conveying just like with a quick look. And I really like that because it, it gets brought up in the conversation with Simpson also. And then the other detail was that I didn't notice in the Eli Jake scene in the episode that they were high. I didn't notice that before because I didn't notice that Jake had his rollerblades on. <laughs> yeah, I realized that the when Jake has his rollerblades on, they smoke weed. Like yeah. that's just how it is. Are you talking about when Jake says to Eli, if you didn't find him, it would have been me? Yes. Oh, that was that was tough. Yeah, and then there's a line that's like, I hope the greenhouse isn't haunted. And then Eli's like, no, just me. I was like, oh no. Do you think Eli was the best person to, like, did it make the most sense that he found Cam? So I've had different opinions on this throughout the years. So at first, I didn't like how Eli got the plot because I was like, Eli has already had a million plots. So why couldn't it be someone else? But now re-watching it and like having the whole context of Eli's character arc, I thought it fit perfectly with Eli. Because he started off with like being emo boy and like, I have a dead ex-girlfriend, blah, blah, blah. And then it's kind of perfect that his character arc ends with him having to confront death again and then dealing with it more healthily this time after doing drugs, of course. But I just thought it fit really well into Eli's whole character arc. So while I do think it could have gone to somebody else, I don't dislike that it was Eli's plot. Okay, I, I pretty much agree. I also think that it made sense for the person who found Cam was somebody who didn't know Cam because they already had everybody who had known Cam like dealing with it. And I think that having somebody who didn't know him find him put it in a different perspective because like even though Eli didn't know Cam, it still affected him in that way. Right. Yeah. So while I do think it could have gone to like someone like Jake or I don't know anyone else, it really works well for Eli. And I really liked it. I have a scene here. So I think that the classic scene for this storyline is the scene with Mr. Simpson in Mr. Simpson's office, where he talks about just like, oh, it could have been me in that greenhouse last year, which is really profound because I feel like when he crashes hearse, it wasn't really stated that it was like a suicide attempt, nor do I really think it was a suicide attempt. But like clearly Eli's head was kind of in that kind of headspace throughout seasons 10 and 11. So I, I thought it was a good detail to kind of bring that up, even though it wasn't really addressed at the time. I agree. But, but the scene that I actually want to bring up is his NYU interview scene. Oh, I didn't expect that. Yeah. All right. Because while the Simpson scene kind of ties together the death aspect of his character arc, I think this scene does a good job of like tying together every aspect, like the death part and the bipolar aspect of his arc. So let me grab that real quick. And what are you currently working on? 
the video yearbook and a zombie short, but that's on hold for the moment. You don't have a follow-through problem, do you? There's been some extenuating circumstances. Something disturbing happened at school and it affected me. Well, actually, most things do. I'm bipolar. Does it interfere with your work? You know, I, I think it helps. You know, I put my feelings in my heart, and that's why doing what I do can be scary because uh, it comes from someplace real. And I even must think I'm a mess. I think you're a very passionate young man. You have no idea. Eli, this is the most competitive program in the country. If you don't get in this time, we urge you to try again. That doesn't sound too promising. Well, we say that to everyone. Thanks for coming. <sighs> You're Romeo and Jules? Pardon? Your stage submission for your portfolio. You sent us this DVD? Yes, I did. I, I directed it. This is one of the strongest high school productions I've seen in my time at NYU. And I've been there a while. Thanks. Okay. So I just thought when he starts talking about how his bipolar disorder kind of helps him with like, I guess in this case, it's like directing or filmmaking. I thought that was like a similar kind of full circle moment where he's been dealing with living with bipolar disorder since he was diagnosed back in season 11. So it really shows like how far he's come with how he not only lives with his mental illness, but how he views it as an advantage rather than a disadvantage, especially how he's kind of having to cope with the bipolar disorder while having to cope with finding Cam. Why do you think he cries in that scene? Because Eli's dramatic. Okay, I was just wondering. I was like, I mean, I it's probably also because the thing that happened at school was like so recent. So like, I get it. I was just interested, like, as to why he just like just cried and it made me so sad. But I don't know. He really has come so far with it. I agree. Because I kind of ignore that seasons 13 and 14 Eli is the same Eli. <laughs> it's not. It's like so not. Yeah, so I kind of view this episode as the end of Eli's character arc. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so thinking about like beginning of season 10 to end of season 12, I, th I think it's a very well done character arc overall. Ignoring all the nonsense in 13 and 14. <laughs> what did you think of Eli and Claire's breakup? from all of this. Okay, I've also flip-flopped on that in the year since it first came out. At first I was like, Eli, why are you breaking up with Claire? She's just trying to help you. I guess I kind of had the same switch about this breakup to how you felt about the first breakup in season 10, where you were like, Claire, why are you breaking up with Eli? He crashed a hearse for you. <laughs> Whereas now I'm like, or I was like, Eli, why, why are you breaking up with Claire? She's just trying to help you out with this terrible situation. But now I'm like, Claire was smothering him and forcing him to talk about things that he clearly wasn't comfortable about talking about. So he definitely should have broken up with her because she was not giving him the space that he needed to deal with it. I agree. I also saw from Claire's perspective 
she probably felt as though she needed to be that person for him because like that was a tough situation and when he wasn't telling her she probably assumed like she just needed to try harder but then it shows like she was not listening like when he says that he's like you are like watching me talk (laughs) but you are not listening to what I'm saying and him saying like it's for my therapist people grieve in such different ways like she just really needed to like take a step back and agree with him but she just is not that person that's just not who Claire is Claire's been trying to fix Eli since day one yeah and like especially throughout the season she's been trying to micromanage everything about her life like with the whole Asher stuff or with the stuff Claire says thing she was like oh you need to stop this because it looks bad on me I need to do like go above and beyond for this geography assignment I need to do everything I can to get Asher out of the way. So like Claire has been micromanaging everything this whole season and now she's just moving that to Eli. I was disappointed in the end when Eli apologized because I think he had every right to want space and when he had the space and he had time and like he came to like deal with what happened and coped, him coming back and being like, I'm in a different place is one thing but to be like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have broken up with you. Like, I, I disagree. I think he definitely needed to break up with her. I don't think it would, he would not have gotten any better if he stayed with her. So that's why I think she should have cut him a little slack, in my opinion. Yeah, I completely agree about Eli kind of flipped a switch about like, he broke up with her. And then a couple episodes later, he's like, oh, I want to get back together. So it's like, Claire should have been the one who realized that what she was doing was wrong not Eli realizing something. I guess all he did was realize that he still loves her, so he wants to get back together, but they didn't really confront the problem with why they broke up in the first place. Yeah, because I'm sure if he was like, we need to break up because I'm not doing well, like, it's not because I don't love you kind of thing, and, like, I think that should have been addressed, but it wasn't. And I didn't like that it made it seem like he was a bad person for needing time. Yes. Because also, Claire was being stubborn with getting back together with him, which I understood because he did kind of blindside her with the breakup. So I understood her being stubborn about it. But... I don't know. Like, just them getting back together is something that I don't know how I feel about still. I don't think they did it right. That was really what I was thinking, because it would have made sense if they were like, let's get back together for, like, this last, like, night and graduation that I'm here, and then when you go off to college, you go off to college, and I stay here, and, like, that's it. And as much as I would have hated it, because I love Eli and Claire, it would have made more sense than to keep Eli around. Or like have them break up and then have him come back when he finds out she has cancer. That's fine. But it's just to keep them together doesn't make sense. Like they wanted the sex scene to happen, like to be like the culmination of like three years of relationship development for them. Yeah. But like you said, I don't, like how they did it no I think it was just not I don't know I don't like it either yeah how do you (laughs) feel about the fact that they did have sex though the 
I was like, come on, Claire, after all that, like, you really, I think what threw me off is that Claire wanted to have sex with Jake. And that's what pissed me off because, not pissed me off, that's the wrong way to go about it. I just think it was like, she valued having sex after marriage so much. And like, I got it. It made sense to me. Like the religion aspect was fine. She met Jake. She's like, maybe I want to sleep with Jake. And then she sleeps with Eli. And it's like, so what does this mean then? Is the religion thing done? Like, has that been done? Like, she still has the cross on. Like, what is this? Like, what does this mean for their relationship? So Claire has kind of been not over religion, but over at least the sex before marriage part of religion since her parents divorced. Okay. So that's why she was contemplating having sex with Jake way back when, because like she was kind of over that at that point. So it makes sense for me that she's fine with having sex at this point, because I think in the locker episode, they also had a quick conversation about, ooh, maybe I'm close to being ready to do it. It was definitely built up, and I I don't dislike that it happened. The only thing is the way that the cancer thing gets brought up, it kind of feels like it's a punishment a little bit for Claire oh. for having sex. I didn't even think of that. Oh, I, th- no, that's so mean. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. Obviously, it wasn't intentionally done, but I feel like maybe not on Degrassi, maybe a little bit on Degrassi because they have so many situations where, like, they had sex once and now she's pregnant. That is true. They really do not like sex. Yeah. They are very against it. Because Eli and Claire having sex is, like, one of the few situations on Degrassi where they have consensual happy sex and nothing bad comes from it. Unless you count Claire getting cancer as something bad coming from it. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not counting Claire getting cancer from them having sex because she had already had the tumor before they even, before they even back together. Yeah, that, that's why I, don't really view it that way, but I could potentially view it that way, <laughs> if you get what I mean. That's crazy. I never thought of that. Ooh. Oh no. <laughs> That's bad. But yeah, I don't mind that they had sex. When I was first watching it, I was hoping that Claire would be like a character who would not have sex in high school. That's, that's what I was kind of getting at. Like, I thought that she was just being angsty with Jake because her parents got divorced. So I was kind of, like, caught off guard a little bit when she actually did want to have sex with Eli. I mean, like, I know their love is, like, whatever. It's, like, really big and all that stuff. But <laughs> I just did not expect her to, to take that leap. And I really think if they didn't, they would have been fine regardless. You know? Like, he didn't care. Yes. I, I agree. But it was it was a cute scene, even though Claire's dress was horrendous. Ugh. <laughs> it was so bad. Like the the season finale of season 12 is probably one of my favorite finales, but I just cannot deal with her fucking purple and black dress. It's disgusting. <laughs> she deserved better. <laughs> That's what I have to say about her poor dress with the tights and the no 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 is that it do we do it 
I think we did. Do you have any any final points on Eli and Claire, Fiona, Imogen? Okay, Fiona, it was her time, in my opinion. Kind of like they did a great job with her every single season. Like the gun plot wasn't great, but everything else I thought was good. It was time for her to go. Imogen. I'm kind of glad she stuck around, but I feel like holding her back was kind of a weird way to do it. I kind of wish she was just younger. Mm-hmm. That's my opinion. Eli and Claire wish Eli was done after the season because as we see, it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And Claire's life is just just worse as well. Like it's just unfortunate that they both are together and feed off each other and whatever. But for them in this season, I did like them. Yeah. Season 12 Claire is top tier. I will give that to them. Other than that, no. <laughs> oh, all right. That's our first episode of season 12. It's a long one. Sorry. <laughs> well, th- thank you for sticking around for this long. We really appreciate you for listening. Next up, we have... Who are we doing next? That's a good question. I wrote it down. Uh, well, well, let's have it be a surprise. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. So thanks for listening, and we will see you soon. We're in season 12 now. Yay. Yay.